0: Here we go. All right, uh, Psalm six. If you got a Bible, why don't you pop that open? Oh, how many of you guys are tired? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good. Tired? Are you tired, Jeanette? I'm exhausted. I know it's Friday, that's why I'm exhausted. <laughs> that's true. Although, what did uh, what did uh, we were at a, we went to a Gideon dinner last night. We were invited by one of our new members. Very nice dinner. Um, and and very very good speakers actually. And one of the Gideons said, or one of the auxiliary members stood up. She was introduced as she's been a homemaker but is now retired. And the woman stood up and said, her first words were, "Can you ever retire as a homemaker?" <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, okay, that's a good point. So uh, nice old nice older woman. Can I? Who took my pen? No. Who took it? No, that wasn't it, Karen. I don't think that's it. I know it's your pen. No, I don't I don't like those kind those clicky kinds. I don't like that. Someone took Oh. Look before you I know. Okay. Yeah, judge. Judge not lest you be judged. I got it. I got it. I just I just, you know, I can't actually I lose these things so quickly. Writing with a junk pen is like buying all your steak from Aldi. I like Aldi, but, you know, there's a point. Well, yeah, and there's a point where you just something nice to write with. But, yes, good point. Is your name Abby? Just curious. It is a fact. That's exactly. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I got it. I, Okay, get off me. Get off me. Yeah, all I was looking for was my pen. That's it. I, actually, I was speaking of a junk pen. I found one in here. Elite Mortgage Group. They're probably out of business now, but that was that was down there. All right, Psalm 6. Open up your Bible. I don't know who requested it. Thanks for this. Oh, good. You requested it. Good, good, good. I was. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, Psalm 6, as you may know, is one of the penitential psalms. Now, how do you understand... Uh, when you hear the word penitential, what do you think of? OK, good. I'm sorry. That's OK. Good. Recognizing sin. OK, what else do you think of when you hear the word penitential? If you had to, if you had to classify it as a law word or a gospel word, how would you naturally think about it? Say that again. A prison, penitentiary? Yeah, right. Hey, that's actually not a—that's actually not a bad. Yeah, right. Prison. Well, you didn't answer the question, Karen. What do you think? Winfield. Say that again. Win- <laughs> Your home, Winfield Woods. We won't put that on the board because that might go on the radio. I had a guy call me yesterday at five o'clock. I didn't know most pastors worked that late, uh, but he called me. Uh, from Michigan. He was a college classmate of mine. And he said he gets all upset because he heard me preach a sermon that went on the radio and then went on the website. And he said I'm still offended that you said the shepherds who came to the manger had no teeth. They were toothless shepherds. So now I know I can't say anything down here. You know, can and will be used against you. That's all I know. Uh, I know. I'm like hey man, listen. (laughs) Well, Yeah. Now flesh that out for me. Finally, someone answers the question. Good. Good. Now you learn from the joy group, because the joy group now is on the fast track to the seminary. All you guys are going to be ordained in about two years. It's going to be great. Jack back there, we can't wait to put our hands on his bald head and say, hey, you're ordained. No? Okay, keep going. So... Uh, you learned in the joy group, every word can be said how many ways? Yeah, two ways a law way and a gospel way, okay? Uh, even words like uh, love. It's Valentine's Day. Um, if I say to Abby uh, on Valentine's Day, if you love me, you will cook steak, is that law or gospel? That's law. I'm forcing her to do something she really doesn't want to do, right? Uh, But gospel would be, I love you, and I'll do whatever you want. That would be a gospel word. So penitence, how could that be a law word, Maddie? Can you flesh that out for us? Um, Have you ever heard a classic Lutheran sermon? It has three parts. Mm -hmm. first part is... um, The first part is, you should be holy. The second part is, by God, you're not holy. But, thanks be to God, Jesus is holy. I mean, you can sort of predict these things, right? It's the classic Missouri Synod sermon. You should be this. You're a damn sinner, so you're not that. But thanks be to God, Jesus is like that, right? That's sort of your classic Missouri Synod preaching. The law bit would be, by God, you're Not like that. So penitence, in the law way, would be, by God, you better repent of your sins or else. Now, tell me how you just said it in the gospel way, because that was actually very nice. I repent, or I'm penitent. Yeah, so penitence comes from repentance, which means simply to turn around, right? Now, the only way you'd turn around would be if you knew there were some good gifts back here, Correct? So you're walking away from the cross, and Jesus says, it's probably best if you turn around, and you say, why would I ever want to do that? And he says, because I'll forgive you and make your life better than it was before. So you turn around, okay? So penitence is both a law word and a gospel word. I at least want to press it today to see how it might be a gospel word, to see not only how Jesus turns us back to his gifts, but also how he cares for those who have been sinned against. This psalm takes sin very seriously. As do all the psalms, but this one in particular because it's a penitential psalm. Um, but there are good gifts sort of on the far side of all of that. There's good gifts for those who have sinned and for those who have been sinned against. Okay? So that's what we want to track. It's not about just hammering you with you should repent. You all know that. It's about finding out what the Lord has in store for all those who do repent. Okay, uh, So look at Psalm 6. Let me read it and then just tell me what comes to mind as you hear this. O Lord, do not condemn me in thy anger. Do not punish me in thy fury. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, my very bones are shaken. My soul quivers in dismay. And thou, O Lord, how long? Come back, O Lord, set me free. Deliver me for thy love's sake. None talk of thee among the dead. Who praises thee in Sheol? I am wearied with groaning. All night long my pillow is wet with tears. I soak my bed with weeping. Grief dims my eyes. They are worn out with all my woes, meaning my eyes. Away from me, all you evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my entreaty. The Lord will accept my prayer. All my enemies shall be confounded and dismayed. They shall turn away in sudden confusion. Okay? It's just what comes to mind. What's the first thing that comes to mind? There are no wrong answers uh yes it's uh it's very tangible mercy we heard what else say that again okay pain like physical pain okay what else yeah yeah he's exhausted okay Anything else? Yeah, it's uh, it's wholly on the other, on someone else, right? What is it that calls? What is it that gets the Lord's attention at the very end of the psalm? Yeah. In fact, I think the Hebrew, I I wrote it down for you just so we can get it exactly. The Hebrew says, oh, this is good. Literally, every night I make my bed swim, I dissolve my couch with my tears. Isn't that interesting? I make my bed swim, I dissolve my couch with my tears. Uh, You folks have seen this movie, I'm sure. By the way, (laughs) this is good. This shows you, You know, we need a course in the Missouri Synod on pop culture. and I don't see a whole lot of movies, but when you go to a pastor's conference, you realize how little other people know. Uh, I said in my paper, this will also stun you, Pastor Bruzek and I gave papers to the pastor's conference, and uh, while this will be surprising for all of you, it, it was not surprising for all of them, his paper was on success in the ministry, the successful pastor. My paper was the su- successful church. Think about it, Okay. <laughs> We saw the humor. I kind of laughed when I got the invitation. I was going to lead with something from AOR, but uh, I decided not to. Uh, see, here's the thing. It's good when you all can laugh about it, because that means you're actually coming through it. So if you all sat here and looked at, and looked at me like, you jerk, you shouldn't talk about it, then you wouldn't be healing. But you're all laughing, so that's good. So anyway, successful pastor, successful church. Well, my point was, as a successful church, what you need to have is the liturgy. That was my main point. So 64 minutes I talked about Postmoderns are drawn to beauty, community, spirituality, justice, simply Christian, and those things are found primarily in the liturgical life of the church. But, you know, all these guys get bent out of shape. They don't all have the liturgy. So at one point in my paper, I said, by the way, if this sort of rubs you the the wrong way, I'd be happy to start with Jay-Z's concert at Madison Square Gardens. You've all seen this, right? The room goes silent. Now, of course, I'm standing up there like, what am I going to say next? I said... None of you have seen this. One person in the back of the room, besides Bruzek Nelson and the vicar, raises their hand. I mean, so that shows you, well, as one guy said afterwards, you cited Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Mary Poppins in your paper, and Starbucks. He said, I've never heard of Jay-Z. I've never heard of Kanye West. I've never been to Starbucks. But I have heard of Mary Poppins. <laughs> to which I wanted to say, Do you live under a rock, or do you not read the newspaper, or... So, it's stunning. Uh, Anyways, regardless, um, what's the point I was going to make? I'm trying to kill time right now is what I'm trying to do. Oh, yes, the movie. Yes, yes, yes. What's the movie? You all, I'm sure you guys have seen this, you four young people in the back there. The movie where the the girl breaks up with her boyfriend, and they both go off to a Hawaii resort, and you remember he gets the luxury suite? Sarah, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, that's right. You remember the scene where he's in the room and the lady at the front desk calls and says, uh, sir, we've had reports that there's a loud woman wailing. You remember that scene? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. you got to go watch it. Actually, you probably shouldn't watch this movie. It's not real appropriate. Um, I, of course, didn't want to watch it, but Abby did. So, um, <laughs> yeah, right. All the bad things in life i Anyways, you should all watch this movie because there's one scene where this guy is just wailing and he says, I think it's the woman above me. And the lady says, sir, you're on the top floor. (laughs) So that's what the psalmist is doing, okay? The psalmist is sort of out of control wailing. Like I said in the Hebrew, every night I make my bed swim, I dissolve my couch with my tears, okay? Now, it's so funny over there. Isn't it true? Also, the reason he was wailing was far far. Well, now, uh, maybe not so far different. Remember, David had a bad relationship with a woman. and Now, he killed the woman's husband, where this guy just saw the woman's husband, or fiancé, or boyfriend, or whatever. But you've got to give me credit for at least the pop culture connection. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, you all, you can be my guest to the next Northern Illinois District Pastors Conference. Okay? And I'll be my guest, and you'll see what the real church is like. Uh, now, what's the psalmist's reason for crying? What's the reason for his crying? Okay, he's done something wrong. Well, two things. It could be one, he's done something wrong, or or it could be both, he's done something wrong, and or someone's done something to him, right? So he's either done something wrong, which is part of it, and someone's done something to him. The very end says, away from me, all you evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Right? Um, that's why I said it's both. He's done something wrong. and some- Yes. That's why I said he's done something wrong and someone's done something wrong to him. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Let's work this thing out, okay? we have a reconciler around? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, help me out here. Okay. The first verse, God, do not rebuke me in your anger. What would cause the Lord to be angry? Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. You are so afraid, fearful that God is going to rebuke. I mean, it's in anger. Yeah. In anger. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Agreed. I completely agree. And that fear, to me, is part of the dissolving your couch. (coughs) Yes. Agree. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I completely agree. Now, my here's what I pushed it to was to the point of saying, why is he fearful of the Lord's anger? What has he done? He sinned. sinned. Yeah. So that's why that's why the point she made was a good one, which is this is about both one who has sinned, David, don't rebuke me in your anger, and one who's been sinned against. My evil doers are chasing me down. Right. So it's about both. But it does begin with, I'm a damn sinner. Yes. Anger. Good point. Yep, exactly. I completely agree. Good. You got it out. Okay. So, the yes, keep going. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think the evildoers are not only sinning against David, But by the very fact that they're evildoers, they're provoking him to sin more. Okay, so that's why in the scriptures it says flee temptation. Well, one of the great temptations are people who do evil, right? Um, And that's why, you know, you often hear it said, don't sort of come in contact with evil. So I think part of the prayer is people are trying to hurt me. Well, they're trying to hurt him in in a number of ways. One is they're sinning against him. The other thing is they're trying to draw him into their activity. Remember two or three weeks ago, I think it was I said, um, you hear it said sometimes, the psalm said something like, they show concern for me. I think that's what's partly going on here, which is they're showing concern for him in order to wrap him up in their activity. So I think you're right. But I think Carol's point is a good one. It starts off with this fear of uh, the Lord's anger, or the I think the Hebrew word is his wrath, right? His wrath. Now, what you have to hear in all this, this shouldn't, this shouldn't now hear this the right way. This psalm shouldn't, frighten you because the Lord's wrath is not it's not like his emotion. He doesn't just get irritated and all of a sudden blow up at people. Okay? That's how you and I are. You get irritated about something, you blow up, you know, there's no beer in the fridge when you get home. The dog's not eating dinner. You know, whatever it may be. It sort of it rubs you the wrong way and you get irritated and you blow up. That's precisely the opposite way the Lord works. The only reason the Lord gets angry is persistent sin. And even even more than that, not just persistent sin, but persistent unrepentance. okay There are, I mean, people are persistent in their sin all the time, but it's persistent unrepentance. This is sort of the um, well, actually, just look at Romans chapter one, just pop that open. I agree. and I think I think you're exactly right, and I think oftentimes our default is to say, that Satan and his enemies are sometimes these invisible powers. But remember, like the Lord, Satan also works by means. Uh, now, the Lord's a little more successful in that. But uh, Satan will try to sort of bring people under his care and then send you out. Have you have seen the screw tape letters or read it? You know, finally we got another one. The reason you want another one is because the more you can multiply evil, the more productive or efficient evil becomes. Okay? Look at Romans 1. I do agree, though. I think you're right. But Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's revealed. Now, that's interesting. It doesn't mean it's sent or it's given or it's delivered. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay? So what you need to think about is uh, if this is the cross... And this is you, and you're walking away from the cross. Repentance calls you to do what? Come back. But as you walk away and don't turn back, you're doing what? Suppressing truth. Remember what 1 Corinthians 1 says? The wisdom of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is truth. So all it means to suppress the truth, or Romans 1, is to be walking continually away from the cross. Okay? To be walking continually away from the cross. And what the Lord's trying to do is turn people back. The only way he can turn you back, though, is if he promises good gifts. Okay? So this is not, it's not his emotion. He doesn't just blow up at people. The other thing is, uh, wrath is probably, if you think of wrath, what do you think of? What comes to mind? What images? Fire, yeah, right, like he's going to burn you up, right? What else comes to mind? Lightning, good. What else? Yeah, okay, good, yeah. It's funny how people sometimes, well, no, I won't say it because then it will it'll give away my position on the matter and I don't want to do that because then it will be held against me in the court of law. Uh, keep going. What else comes to mind? Chaos, yes, very good. What else? Is that a Tommy gun? You know, I was out at Walgreens the other day, you know they sell cap guns again? I didn't know they sold them anymore. Although you can buy the cap gun, but I didn't see the actual caps. I was gonna buy one for Emma. I said, Emma, do you want one of these? She says, no, I want this, and points to the cheap Barbie doll right next to it. But someday, the queen of angels is gracious, we'll get a boy. Uh, yes, yeah, a front end loader, she might like that too. Toolkit. I don't have a toolkit. Christmas present for Pastor Daniel. Think about it. Uh, Okay, so what else do you think of when you think of wrath? If okay, now let me. Okay, good. In all your descriptions of wrath, what you're essentially saying is, the Lord does something and the Lord gets what he wants. He's so angry that he sends down fire from heaven or he's so angry that it's sort of this unbridled chaos. He just you know, he just sort of tears back his arms and says do whatever you want. Now look at Romans 1 verse 24. Romans 1 verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. So his wrath isn't fire from heaven, and his wrath isn't I'm going to destroy you with utter chaos. His wrath is he lets you have what you want. That makes sense? His wrath is he lets you actually have what you want. Now, that's a scary thing. I've often said Burger King's the greatest heresy. Have it your way. Um... But what what the Lord ultimately says is his wrath is letting you have what you want. So part of the reason you have this psalm is to turn you back to what the Lord wants. Okay, Go back to Psalm 6. Go back to Psalm 6. How powerful is sin in this psalm? how powerful a sin look at verses 2 and 3 be merciful to me o lord for i am weak heal me for my bones are shaken my soul quivers in dismay and thou o lord how long okay i mean the image i have speaking of earthquakes is who's the guy who was at, like he was under there for 28 days or something well i was but oh yeah 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 yep yeah Uh, the other day, yeah, the earthquake. Have any of you ever, ever had ex- an experience like this? Not the earthquake, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I should specify this this sort of full body angst. I mean, oftentimes we say, "Oh, my soul hurts." But have you ever had the experience where you're so disrupted, disrupted, that your body actually begins to hurt? This can take, I mean, this can take on any form. You see people who, in the midst of great stress, you know, drop of a heart attack. That's this, <laughs> right? It doesn't always mean they've sinned. It means there's great press in the world. There's great press in the church. Have you seen this in other places, though? Maybe in yourselves? You get sick, you know, around, I, you know, inevitably you get sick around the holidays. Why? Because you gotta cook turkey for dinner, green bean casserole, mm-hmm. what do you cook? spinach casserole, pecan pie, those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, Wild dogs two inches from your house? No. In the area. The rabbit have rabbits. Hey, is that right? Mm-hmm. What do they do to the rabbits? gotcha. Okay? Yeah, right. Anybody else had an experience like this? Yeah, tell me about that. Tell me uh, well, if you can. And you can also... have you ever had a spouse or a kid who's been very sick or very injured and you almost feel as though part of you was sick or injured? You know? There's something to be said for becoming one flesh, right? And then when that person passes away, it's as though part of you has died. Um, And you see that even then, now you're talking about something very physical, uh, an illness. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's true not only in families, but it's also true just in broader communities. I mean, I think one of the one of the struggles of late is so many people, um, given the press of the place, even though it's located in a very small group, the entire place has begun to feel the press. I mean, some of you have said, we don't quite know what's going on, but now we feel like there's this great press. And some of you say, I'm right in the middle of all this. And some of you say, Gosh, when will this all be done? And Even in this community, that's why the church is called a family. <laughs> you know, what goes for one person to the family is felt by another person. And suddenly, uh, the whole body, one body, uh, has some aches and pains and bones hurt and souls quiver. And we say, how long, oh Lord, how long, right? Yes. Yes. That's all right. No, there, there's nothing to apologize for. You're completely okay. Yep. Yep. Right. Mhm. Right. Let's look at the end. Okay. You can help us through there. All right. Verse six, and you can begin to see sort of the progression out of this now. Okay. So he begins by saying, oh my gosh, your wrath is coming, your anger is coming. Why is this happening to me? My soul quivers. But then, verse 6, there's a dramatic turn of events, okay? I am wearied with groaning. So basically, he admits to the Lord, I can't do anything more. I'm done. You remember the prodigal son, when he goes out and it says, he had spent everything. He'd hit rock bottom. I'm wearied with groaning. All night long, my pillow was wet with tears. I soaked my bed with weeping. Grief dims my eyes. You ever seen people that are so overcome with grief they can't even open their eyes? You've experienced this maybe, or you've seen people, where you actually you, know, you actually can't open your eyes to the world. They are worn out with all my woes. You, know, you say of people, their eyes are tired. Right? Their eyes are tired. You see people who are at the bedside of a sick loved one, you say, they just look so exhausted. What leads you to believe they're so exhausted? Their eyes are tired. Away from me, all you evildoers. And for someone like you, that's that's Satan saying, you're not going to get better, right? When will this ever end? Maybe it'll never end. Away from me, you evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. So that means the Lord's always doing what? He's always listening, okay? The prodigal son is so important because the father is out waiting, right? It says when the boy was a long way off, the dad saw him and he ran to meet him. The Lord's the exact same way. He's always out watching. He's always out listening. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my entreaty. Or, as yours might say, let me find it here. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Or as the uh, more colloquial one says, all my enemies shall be confounded and dismayed. They shall turn away in sudden confusion. Turn away in sudden confusion. Now you remember, the first thing the Lord does in Eden is what? What's the very first thing he does? Genesis 1, it says, The earth was formless and void, and, and darkness was over the face of the deep. What's the first thing he does to Eden? He orders it. He orders it. And what he's trying to show in this psalm is not only is he listening, but even in the midst of the chaos of evil and sickness and death and whatever else it may be, he brings order to your life while bringing chaos to evil. If evil is chaotic, it can't get the job done. Part of the reason evil becomes successful is when evil becomes ordered. When you get 10 or 12 people to sort of march in the same row and all be evil, guess what? It's very powerful. When evil scatters to the four winds, guess what? It doesn't have power. You want to bring chaos to evil and order to life. Chaos to evil, order to life. That's like the epistle from last Sunday. I was stunned by it where he says, be infants in doing evil, but be, you know, be mature in doing good. Okay. If you've ever seen an infant, is an infant ordered or chaotic? Yeah, they're. All, I mean, they're all over the place, right? You're just hoping they don't tumble down the stairs because they don't know where to go, they don't know what to do. Infants are utterly chaotic. Be chaotic in you know in your doing of evil. Don't be ordered by evil, but be ordered. Be mature in doing good. Okay. Do you help us any more? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, it's it's sort of apropos that you picked this psalm this week because. Next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, right? So Lent begins, um, and this Sunday is the Transfiguration. And at least in Luke's Gospel, Luke 9:51, there's that great verse where it says, you know, he comes down from the mountain. So basically what happens is the disciples think they have a moment of glory. He's sort of suffered for two or three years. He's been rejected. They want to throw him off the cliff. They want to do all this stuff to him. He comes up to the mountain. He begins to, as it says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. That's so what it says in the Greek. Whiter than anyone could bleach them. And you know, Peter and, and uh, James and John, you know, let's make some tents and, and stay here for a party. And then the Lord comes down. You remember what he does in Luke nine fifty one? He sets his face. Yeah, he doesn't just turn. He sets his face. In the Greek, he makes his face as stone, as flint, to go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem ultimately is the place of his death. Um, but what you have to see is precisely what you just said, which is, He doesn't set his face to his death. He actually sets his face to you, which is on the far side of Jerusalem. Okay? So he goes through suffering to death, to resurrection, to glory, to you. And precisely what happens to Jesus, we've said this over and over and over again, whatever goes for Jesus also goes for you. Not just the live the Christian life or give a winsome witness. Sometimes that burdens you and you say, I can't live up to that. Will take hope today, because whatever goes for Jesus as far as his suffering and his glory also goes for you. Is Jesus going to die? Yeah, he's going to die. Is life going to be hell? Yeah, life's going to be hell. But guess what? Today he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And, just in case you don't quite believe it, he comes every Sunday and gives you the same body that's at the right hand of the Father and puts it inside of you. A little glory on this side of suffering. That's why to be a sacramental Christian is everything. We uh, we were down at Wheaton College a couple nights ago. Pastor Bruzek was on a panel, and it was a panel about the Lord's Supper, about closed communion. And I was I was stunned for two reasons. I was stunned at how cordial and kind the discussion was, because you get people of varying degrees. A Baptist who believes, you know, no body in blood, and anyone can come to the Eucharist. And you get, you know, Pastor Bruzek, who's it's body and blood, uh, and you know we we want to get everyone there, but we realize we don't want to hurt them or kill them. And then you have a Methodist who sort of says, yeah, we kind of think it's body and blood, but we want all the baptized there. So you have all these varying perspectives. What I was stunned by, though, and hear this in the right way, how empty the life of the Baptist was when he stood up and said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Jesus died. He rose again. He's off in heaven. And the Lord's Supper is our proclamation of the gospel. It doesn't deliver salvation. It doesn't deliver the body and the blood. It's our proclamation of the gospel. Now, there's something very intriguing and interesting and helpful about that. Because remember, Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death till I come again. But think about living life that way. Where when you wake up and your bones are aching and you've wet your bed with your tears and you say, "What what does the Lord have for me right now? All you can say is, I know he rose from the dead. Someone like you, having the body and blood put into you all the time, that's what got you through. Yeah. Yeah. The verbs in the end of this psalm were on, all done by the Lord, and that's the Eucharistic action. Okay? Uh... Anything else? Yeah. I'm sure you probably could. I don't know how you got in. I thought there was a blood test and a, and a skirt check at the door, but somehow you got in. I know. I know. Well, you know how that goes. I actually was thinking on the drive to work today about the difference between joy and happiness. And I thought, joy is an emo- or happiness is an emotion, and joy is a state of being. And that's the distinction. You're not happy about your sufferings. You know, you're not happy about what goes on. But even in the midst of that, you can have joy because joy is defined by some <laughs> someone who is wholly other. <laughs> Defined by Christ, yeah right. So um, you know, it sounds it sounds a bit ironic to say have joy in your sufferings, but that is what Christ says, uh, because joy means joy means you take the long view on life. Joy means you see life through Jerusalem and through the cross and through the empty tomb and up to heaven and back to the altar. That's joy. Happiness is. People don't hate me anymore. Isn't this great? But joy is sort of taking the long view on life. It's really a long view all the way back to Eden. So it's a disposition. It's a state of, a state of being. It's not, uh, it's not an emotion. It's the same thing. Strikingly, it's the same thing with wrath. As I said earlier, wrath is not an emotion. not like he gets irritated. Wrath is his disposition to sin. He hates sin. He hates it. Joy is the same way. Joy is your disposition to Christ. That makes sense? Yeah, keep going. Yeah, uh, you remember in the part of the reason I read the thing from Luke today, it says, uh, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. So, uh, wrath is for the Lord; it's not for you. Okay. Um, and wrath also—you have to understand this properly—is not something that—it's uh, not in Eden. It's not in Eden. Wrath is a reaction to the fall. Wrath is not of God's nature. There are certain things that make God up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, giving, grace, mercy. All those things make up who God is by nature. And you see that most clearly in the person of his son. All he does at the incarnation when he speaks to Mary, he just delivers his nature into flesh. Whatever you can find in God in Eden suddenly now has a body. So Jesus walks around as God in the flesh, but things like wrath and anger, they're not part of his nature. That's not who he is. So when you get back to Eden, guess what? He won't be wrathful anymore. Right. He uh, he has to punish sin somehow. So you can take it one of two ways. You can either have his son, who he punished for sin, or you can have yourself, who he'll punish for sin. That's why in Romans it says, he gave them up to their own devices. To not be up to your own own devices means you're up to Christ's devices. So he's not out to get people. It's either, you'll have his son, who he's been wrathful towards. That's where the wrath of God is revealed, the crucifixion. Or you'll have it your own way. But part of the struggle with having it your own way is, you suddenly have to bear the sins of the world on your own. It's very easy. I mean, theology and the church and the Lord, they're very easy. He doesn't try to complicate or confuse you. And if you do this, I'll be wrathful, and if not, I won't. And you better watch out. It's very simple. Have the Lord or have yourself. What do you want? But when you get back to Eden, or frankly, this is the very first or second week, you know, Romans 6, you have been baptized into Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, guess what? His wrath for his son is over now. He doesn't have any wrath for you. It's all been drained. It's all gone which means that you're utterly indestructible. He can't kill you, he can't destroy you, he can't be angry, he can't be wrathful, he can't be any of those things, because you're in his son. All right. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is fear, um, let me ask you, is fear concerned about yourself or concerned about something else? About yourself, yeah. That's, that's sort of the struggle with fear is that fear is always concerned with self. Even, even if you talk about fears for other people, like do I fear that someday something terrible will happen to Emma or to Abby? Yeah, I could. But ultimately, that's about myself. Why? I don't want to be alone. I don't want to not have a child. You don't want someone else to suffer because you know it'll hurt you. This is the point that Jeanette and I just talked about. Well, That's the point. If they suffer, I suffer. I don't want to suffer. (laughs) So, fear is always concerned with self. Um, But Jesus has overcome fear. Because you remember the first words the angel says to Mary are, Fear not. Yep. So how do you get through that? Yeah, yes, good. Jesus prayed. Yes. It's interesting that Jesus prays, remember what he prays in Gethsemane? What does he pray in Gethsemane? If you could take this cup from me, Now, there's a great reversal. What's your prayer? That you give this cup to me, (laughs) right? Take away the cup of suffering, yeah, but give me the cup of everlasting life, right? So there's this interesting exchange. Jesus prays that the cup is gone, and you pray that the cup come. I mean, the Eucharist is the only thing in life. And I hope hope after, you know, two or three years, or ten years, or thirteen years, or however long you've been hearing that, It begins to sink in. There's nothing else in life but the Eucharist. That's it. That's the antidote to death. It's the antidote to suffering. It's the antidote to fear. That's all there is in life. And I think if you ask around the room, if you were to take them one by one and say, how has the Eucharist changed you? Primarily, most of you would say, I don't fear as much. I don't suffer as much. And if I do suffer, you know, I realize that on the far side of all this, It's all going to be okay. I can remember Ray Newberg, may his soul rest in peace, sitting down at the end of the hallway. He said, since we've had the Eucharist every Sunday, this congregation has gone like this. He didn't mean growing. He meant strength and joy and peace and hope, how that transforms people. That's all there is. That's all there is in life. You're not alone because of this. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Her point was, I'm not alone because I found St. John. I mean, here's, here's the, I mean, <laughs> I just had a conversation with someone the other day who's going through a rough patch in life. She's a young person. And uh, she said to me, I don't care what else I lose in life, but I don't want to lose this community. Why is that? Yeah, there's comfort and love. There's support, there are friends. There's a community that's bound by something bigger than themselves, right? And the fear of people today, and I, and I know it's, it's older folks too, but primarily of young folks is, they don't wanna be alone and they don't wanna be unloved. I mean, college kids don't wanna go off and live in a dorm room by themselves. They wanna have community, they wanna have relationships, they wanna have friendships. And the starting place for all of that needs to be the church. It has to be the church. I got a, this pastor who called yesterday. He said, I want my church to grow, and I realize that having a praise band won't do it. I want to have the liturgy. What should I do? I mean, this is here's the thing, folks. This is where the freaking world is going. <laughs> that's the Lord getting me back for. That's where it's going. Yeah? Yes, the starting point for community is at the Eucharist, right? And then it it expresses itself in all other walks of life. So it expresses itself in belief, in action, in, but you're exactly right. If you don't have a common belief, difficult to have community, yeah, What psalm is? 34. Psalm 34. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His pastor said, "Where do I start?" I said, "I'd spend." The, I said, "You can't just you can't just impose the liturgy on a congregation." I said, "I'd spend the next year talking about community. What does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to care for people? What does it mean to go out and actually invite people into that community?" Um, but that's what people are after. A community of people who have been crushed by evil and yet have come through on the far side. The very end of the psalm, you know, the Lord has heard my entreaty, the Lord will accept my prayer. All my enemies shall be confounded and dismayed. They shall run away in sudden confusion. It's an ordered community, ordered by the liturgy, who comes together on the far side of suffering and evil in glory and Eden. That's what a community is. Yes. Yep. It also, yeah, you're right. Yes, good point. And in this psalm, what's the psalmist's despair? What's his cry? My bones ache, right? Like I'm going to fall apart. But there's never a point where the Lord actually lets you be destroyed, right? You just see, always, and this can play itself out in anything. Like, I'm suffering and I don't know if he hears me, to, my kids don't come to church anymore. What is the Lord going to do? He never gives up on people. Yeah. Yes, uh, but don't hear that as uh, it's a one-off. The Lord, the Lord will try and try and try and try and try. It's like Pharaoh. He gives him ten shots, and Pharaoh finally says, I really want it my way, and the Lord says, in fact, in, in Pharaoh, it's not the Lord hardened his heart, it was Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So you're right. He'll eventually let you have your own way, but gosh, that's a long way down the road. Yeah, exactly. Or else I'm a dead man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and don't, yeah, and this, this psalm, just so you, I mean, maybe I didn't make this clear at the very beginning. If not, I'm sorry. This psalm is not about just the regular life of a sinner. This psalm is about those who have so hardened their hearts and are so unrepentant that they're unwilling to turn back. All of us sin. That's why Luther says, get up and make the sign of the cross in the morning. But this is folks who say, this is why I read Romans one, you suppress the truth. You continue to walk away and you don't turn back. And one of the, one of the great, um, not struggles, but tasks of a pastor is to figure out when people are just struggling with the same sins over and over again, or when they're actually unrepentant. Because sometimes that looks very similar, but there's actually a dramatic difference between the two. To just continue to fall into the same sins, guess what folks, that happens. You blew up, you got angry, you didn't trust, you were a little fearful, you yelled at your wife, whatever. But then there's there's a point where you sort of cross a line and it becomes unrepentance. And what you as a Christian and me as a pastor, what we have to do is figure out where that line is and when people have crossed it and then how to help them differently. Um, So, you know, if you ever come to confession, not you, but I'm just saying anybody, if anybody ever comes to confession, don't be surprised or dismayed if we sort of say, How's that stuff going that we talked about last time? It's simply to care for you to make sure that you don't head on this road to suppressing the truth. And the psalm that's what the psalms talking about. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, the good I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. Right? Yeah. You didn't do that when you said freaking like I did. (laughs) All right, what else? Anything else? I mean, partly, uh, I was thinking about it as I came down, how many of you read psalms like this all the time? There's, you know, if you read the penitential psalms all the time, that says something, and it probably isn't good. If you don't ever read the penitential psalms, that says something, and it's probably not very good. So make sure you have a good dose of, you know, some of the good gospel psalms that are in there as well, and don't, you know, save these for a time when you need them, right? Right now I read it when I'm really getting down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. I know where I've been, right? right? But you know, this shouldn't. Don't wake up every morning and sort of pray the psalm because it'll just it'll depress you, you know. Um, oh, my yeah, exactly. And then you want, you want to make sure you've got a, a good one on the far side of it. You want to pray Psalm 23, or you want to pray something that gives you a lot of hope. Because this, if you read this too much, it'll make you feel like you're a nobody. Um, so don't pray this all the time. It's always good to look at it. You'll probably hear a little more about it now that it's Lent. But also take Lent and the purple and the black of Ash Wednesday. Take all of that, hopefully, in the way of the Gospel and not the law. The Lord is not out to get you at Lent. Anybody that says, oh, now's the time where the Lord sort of says, have at it or I'm going to have at you, that's not what Lent's all about. Lent is simply about showing you where the cross is at so you can make your way back to it. Okay? So purple is the color of turning around. And there's great joy in all that. Alright. Uh, anything else? We're a little early, but all I had, to, all the stuff I had to say was sort of in the way of the law and that would just leave you depressed and You know distress. So I just won't say it. We'll end on the gospel, which is the Lord loves you and He always listens. How's that? Is that okay? All right. Let's pray, and then you guys can stay around and have a little fellowship. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses,